Hello and welcome to the Behind the Wheel podcast, the culmination and brainchild of my own love for cars, but also my determination to ensure that nobody ever goes through what I've been through. That is hating their nine to five and living only for the weekends. With just a few quid in his back pocket, Colin Treadway arrived in the UK from South Africa and through hard work, determination and perseverance successfully built a career in the retail industry transforming stores all around the country. Now he spends considerable time bringing together couples to enjoy lasting memories in opulence, serenity and pure luxury through his supercar club with thousands of members Colin has built a community based on his own love for cars and breathtaking experiences. Join me to find out how to push through tough times, find that inner strength and achieve your full... Your drive really, it's having the drive and the belief, the self-belief that you can achieve what you want to achieve. I swore that day, I swore I would never be that poor ever again that I cannot afford to go out for a beer. Colin, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome, Herbert. Oh, it's, uh, it, it, it's so good to have you. Um, Colin, for those who might not know who you are, just, just, just tell us a, a little bit about you and obviously this amazing, amazing car club that you obviously created and uh, how that all started, I guess. Um, so... Um... I'm originally from South Africa, so I was born out in um, Namibia, in uh, in uh, Southwest Africa. Um, lived across in South Africa, um, in, in, in the Durban and Natal area. Uh, went and spent a number of years up in Zimbabwe, and then came back down to Johannesburg. Um, I then um, decided that I wanted to um, further a life in in, in the UK. Um, uh, as my mum was English and, and it was easy for me to come here really so I decided to settle in the UK and uh, I gave myself sort of five years to, to settle in the UK um, and if I uh, wasn't settling I was going to go back and uh, unbelievably I'm still here today um, 38 years later <laughs> Wow my god and um, that, that desire I guess to kind of come into a new country and you know, settle in. I mean, how was that experience for you? Was it what? What, what were some of the sort of challenges that, that that you found when you first when you first came? Um, well, when I when I came to when I came to the UK, I was I was twenty years of age, and, and I suppose I sort of uh, the world was my oyster, but you know, I was not frightened of anything, which is probably naive, really, uh, in hindsight, because. Um, I came to the country with two hundred pound in my back pocket, and uh, I spent that in the first week that I was here, so um, I was forced to wow. um, yes. not find work, anything that would just pay pay um, sort of the rental on, on accommodation. Um, so uh, although I, before I left South Africa, I was already a store manager in South Africa for a company very similar to what is known as Boots in the UK. Um, and uh, I'd applied to Marks and Spencers, Tesco's and all these different companies um, for a job. But while I was going for interviews, obviously I ran out of money so I had to find jobs quickly to, to be able to work um, and uh, to earn money and basically 
Uh, I used to work seven days a week. I used to I used to work um, five days a week painting and decorating for 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 a company, um, uh, and going for interviews. And on weekends, I used to sell whippy ice cream at uh, St Albans Cathedral, and that was for the prize pr- oh, wow. of three pounds an hour. <laughs> but wow. you know, you know, with okay. that, okay. Um, that taught me many lessons um, in life because. Um, you know, I lived a relatively probably privileged life in South Africa in terms of, you know, my job and, 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 and my, how young I was and what we were earning, etc. And then suddenly coming to the UK and being a nobody and having no money was, was quite a, um, a, a rude awakening, really. But I think it is what made me what I am today because what it taught me was a lot of things. And, and um, I suppose... I never ever judge anyone anymore about what they do or, 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 or what they earn or anything else. It's not important to me because um, it's about respect for people and no matter what they do and who they are. I think it really is core that you, 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 you appreciate what they do for a living um, and the individuals, they're a human being and you need to respect them. That's my, my sort of key value really. Yeah, and just 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 remind me again, sorry. What was the um, what was the the reason or the context for going from South Africa to to the UK? Um, well, I found myself in a position where where um, my family worked. My brother had left South Africa and went to Australia. My friends were all leaving uh, to either go back to where they came from, i.e., Germany or, or, or Holland. Some left to go to Australia. And, and I could see um, all my family being split up for political reasons because um, there was a thing called affirmative action, which is a complete reversal of apartheid in a way. Um, now, some people think, oh, yes. well, you know, you don't yeah. deserve that, etc., etc. but it's not quite as simple as that. But I don't want to really get into the political side of it. But the long and short of it is, if you want, you can't get a job unless, unless uh, the company can prove that you... Um, have a skill that they absolutely need and they can't find within within the black community. Um, right. And for me, that was a real issue going forward, really. So I thought to myself, if I was going to spend my life um, in, a, in a country, I need to sort of, is there going to be a future for not only me, but for my family? Um, and if my family choose to leave... Yeah. Yeah. Um, then it's their choice, but I don't want them to leave because of political reasons. So, so the key thing for me was yeah. to to, yeah. to come to a country where I felt safe and I felt that um, I could have a career that would be not be hindered by the colour of my skin. Yeah. So that was the fundamental. So reason. I mean, just just talk us through. Yeah, and just 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 talk us through, Colin. You know, landing in the UK, right? Um, the first few days, the first few weeks, what was going through your mind? I mean, it must have been a real shock to the system, right? Well, yeah, because it, uh, I arrived um, at, at Heathrow having missed my... Um, there were some delays in the flights. We can, I missed my connecting transport to the hotel I booked into. So I had to find my own transport to Paddington Station, um, where the hotel was. And... Um, yeah, it was very daunting. It was snowing at the time in April, and uh, I, I was so disorientated. It was it was just frightening, really. And I got to the well, I got to a taxi and asked he asked his taxi driver to 
to take me two bags. And he literally took me about one block. And I thought, my God, you could have just told me that it was just around the corner. But anyway, so um, <laughs> I got to the hotel and, uh, and, and I booked in. And I was thinking, and then I said to them, um, I said to the receptionist, is there a restaurant anywhere you can go and get something to eat? And she said, well, yeah, you go left and go right. There's loads of shops. And I was so disorientated and probably frightened, to be honest with you, because I was so... I had to make sure I don't forget where this hotel is and all this type of stuff. Um, but I soon, I soon started gaining me, me footings and confidence. Once I, once I uh, worked my way around uh, the the London Underground and and all the things I had to do because uh, those days you didn't really have um, sat navigation. It was all uh, A to Z on the London London uh, maps and things. But yeah, it was it was uh, it was. The first probably few weeks was very, very uh, daunting and, and probably too uh, frightening, really, because I, I didn't have any family. I didn't have any family, yet, so I was just by myself. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, I mean, 200 quid in your, in your back pocket, that's that's all you had, right? Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty amazing kind of um, success story. I mean, to kind of go from that to... Uh, you know, having a career and 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 kind of you know getting to a place where you've got you know some level of freedom and everything else. Um, the 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 thing I'd love to understand in a, in a bit more detail, Colin, is is um, I guess obviously um, getting getting your first job in the UK, earning some money. Uh, obviously, working seven days a week, I think, is what you said. Um, what sort of kept you going in those kind of tough those those tough kind of times when you when you first came? Well, well, I suppose, I mean, when I was down in London, I, I had to move out of the, the hotel within, you can imagine, uh, rather rapidly. And I ended up uh, in, in, in a sort of Georgian-style house where we, we shared a room with six other blokes. Yeah. Um, there must have been about 30 people in this house. And, and, and if you wanted a hot shower, you had to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to have a hot shower. Um, <laughs> but it was 7 quid. It was bed and breakfast for 7 quid. So you can imagine that was a bargain. And uh, but but having to wow. share it with six other blokes was not exactly pleasant. Um, but then, uh, to be honest, with you, a friend had heard that I came over, and he and he, and he um, uh, I've got a lot of uh, gratitude to for um, Chapel Dominique uh, Scott and um, and Jackie Scott and his and, and her mom and dad really because um, when he saw where I was living, he, he said to me, "Look, you can't live like this." He said, um, "Let me speak to my mother-in-law. We've got a spare room." And um, and they offered me a room in Carpenter's Park, um, uh, in their, their, their bungalow with the dormer bungalow. So so I went and lived up in the dormer, and I paid just for food. I only had to pay for food. So they gave me a massive um, step up, to be honest with you, to be able to to, to live really. Mm. Um, and while I was doing that, um, her, her dad also gave me a job painting and decorating. Uh, a factory, so so um, oh, right, I, was, okay. I was earning money and I was paying my rent. But in the meantime, I was also going for interviews, um, and and not only that. I mean, there was there was there was um, um, times where they actually helped, took me to the interviews as well, which was 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 a great help. So that they were a very um, great support mechanism for me um, to settle. Um, I even from there, there, I also lived in Brixton for for a short period while I was waiting for um, uh, for an alternative accommodation, and that was quite uh, scary living in in, in 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 a place there where someone had been someone had been axed there, they'd been axed 
the day before for their furniture and all that. They'd moved oh out God. and they said we've got a lot to look after their accommodation and I was in a desperate position so I said, yeah, come on, I'll look after your property. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's wow. a story of life, you know, and, and it, is, it is very interesting. And when I look back, I think to myself, I was so young and naive and probably, probably, but I was, I was on a mission, you know, and, and I was happy to just go with the flow. So, so um, I did whatever it took to, to survive. Um, but then I, I got a job and, with... Um, um, sorry, and, and just, just looking back at those, at those early experiences, um, what, what are some of the big kind of takeaways for you as you reflect on that kind of uh, tough, tough experience I think it's all about your drive really it's having the drive and the belief the self-belief that you can achieve what you want to achieve um, and during that period um, there was one there was one um, Friday in particular where a friend phoned me up and he said to me um, he said come on Colin he said uh, let's go for a pint and I said oh no I'm too busy and he said to me um he says, you're skinned, aren't you? you got no money. I said, oh, man, I'm so skinned. I can't even afford a beer, mate. He said, listen, I'll pick you up in half an hour. And, you know, the, the biggest thing that I can recall from that is that ever again, that I cannot afford to go out for a beer. And that was, that was a, a, a real learning. Not a learning. I, I would just say wow. one of the things in my mind that stuck, which was a driver, you know, there's, there's things in life that, that cause you to drive yourself. Now, if you, I'm a believer that if you're given everything on a silver plate, sometimes you can just think it's expected. Um, but when you've had hardship, it drives you to want to succeed and want you to have a better life and to strive for that life that you ultimately want, want to have. Um, and not only for me, but also for my family and for my children. Um, because it was key that not only once I got settled and everything, that I'd want my children to be educated and to be able to have an easier passage through life than myself. Um, but yeah, the learnings in, from the from from those that early that early period of my, my my settlement in the UK was pretty much back to that um, uh, 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 humble. And respect is the two two probably things that I would say because I think there's a lot of people who do not respect each other, um, irrespective of who they are and what they are. Um, and I think that is a real a real key keen thing because when you at the bottom end of um, the workforce, you feel and see how people treat you, and it's horrible. It is a horrible place to be um, if you get treated like that. But at the same token, if those people looked after you, then it wouldn't be such a horrible job. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose to a certain degree, hardship in the most challenging of times, it, it builds you up and it gives you a level of appreciation and understanding and drive that I suppose you don't really get in the good times, Right. Um, and I think, I think to a certain degree, we look, we look quite negatively at failure and, um, being in a difficult place, but actually it can give you so much power and wisdom that you might not get elsewhere. Is that how you feel as well? I, I have no regrets about how I 
achieved my success. Um, I'm probably, in a way, very grateful, in a way, because I think it was the making of me, because um, that drove me. And then, you know, once I got my first um, job, which, which was um, I was a training manager for, for Superdrug, and um, it was still hard, you know. I used to live in I used to live in um, Wembley at this point, and I used to rent a room in Wembley, not Wembley, sorry, in Watford. And I used to work in Wembley, and I used to catch a train every morning, you know, half past six in the morning. I was on the train, um, and uh, get down to Superdrug, unload the lorries, fill the shelves, and this carried on for six months. And I thought, God, is this my life? Is this what my life has come to? Just filling shelves, and um, and I made a decision then that if I hadn't if I wasn't going to be a store manager within six months of doing this job, then I was going back to South Africa. And lo and behold, on Christmas Eve, uh, my area manager came to see me and he said to me, uh, we'd like to make you up to store manager. Um, and uh, it was through the hard, pure hard work and the commitment I, I had with the manager that I was working for, working under, that he saw my worth and recommended me for a position. So... Um, I got my first shop in uh, North Finchley um, uh, as a manager for Superdrug. Um, and once I got my, um, by that point, I'd actually moved up to, um, I moved up to Luton and I bought my first house in Luton, um, thanks to Maggie Thatcher. I know people don't, a lot of people don't like Maggie Thatcher, but I had a zero uh, deposit. And um, for the same price, I was paying for that room in Watford. Uh, I managed to buy my first my first house, um, and I used to travel from Luton to North North London every day, and um, but that got me on the on the on the treadmill. So that got me in a position where I knew now, right? Okay, I'd got back to being a store manager. I now knew that I wanted to go into food retailing because that's where the money was, um, and also the ambition in terms of the bigger scale of things. So I um, worked for Superdrug for 18 months, and then I went joined a company called Prestos, um, which now um, uh, Prestos bought Safeway and then converted the name to Safeway. So I uh, worked for Safeway. I always had a one, three, and a five-year career plan. So I knew exactly where I was going within that time scale and what I wanted to achieve. And I would let people know what my goals were, what I wanted to achieve, so that they knew that um, I had ambition and that I um, wasn't going to stop at just letting them leave me where I was. So um, throughout my career, uh, I had these one, three, and five-year goals. I then um, got promoted to... Um, I was taken on by Prestos uh, as, a, as an assistant store manager. I then got my first shop... Uh, three years later, because now I was running food, I was running all the all the um, the different departments within a, a, a big supermarket. But I was happy that within three years I'd achieved store manager at that level. And uh, from there, I just went from strength to strength, really. So my shops range from um, my initial stores taking a hundred thousand pound a week, and that was in Bedford. Then I went back uh, across to Corby and run a big shop in Corby. And then um, I was asked to go uh, back into London and do a secondment for three years in um, Hatch End, where I run the Safeway in Hatch End, but I lived in, had a flat in Bushy, 
company supplied me with a, with a flat in Bushy. So um, I, I did that as well, a one-year secondment, but it extended to three years. I then was offered a um, regional manager's role, which which I declined because having um, by that time I was married, I had three children, and I wanted. Um, uh, I wasn't sure whether it was the right thing for us to do at that point in time, so I um, ended up in Solihull uh, with, with Safeway uh, in Birmingham. Then I got headhunted by Morrison's. Um, so I, at the time, Safeway were going through a lot of uneven uh, um, upheaval, and I couldn't see my career path progressing in the right way. So I then joined Morrison's, and I used to run the a shop in Northampton and from the success with that within six months I'd be put onto the um, sort of a management program and offered a um, another area manager's job down in Cambridge and London but again I wasn't sure that I wanted to take that path for a number of reasons um, and at the same token Tesco's had headhunted me already for a position within within their organisation and within Tesco's, that was my ultimate goal. I wanted to work for the biggest supermarket um, with with um, the biggest the biggest um, I suppose uh, the benefits that went with it and and the sort of business that it was. So uh, ultimately, I joined Tesco's, and um, again I went into um, uh, shopping in, in uh, Wellingborough. And then I was I was asked to open a brand new shop up in Alfreton. And from Alfreton, I got then moved, brought, promoted again to the extra format. Uh, so I went and run uh, Loughborough. Uh, and then from Loughborough, I went back into Solihull to run the big shop um, uh, of the, um, the... I can't remember what the way is it in. Sorry, the, 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 the big shop in Solihull. Um, and then from there, I went up to Long Eaton. And after that, I retired. Wow! But I want to I want to get back to two things real quick because this I mean there, there were two things that, that were just so powerful. Uh, number one was um, the fact that you it, it seemed like you realised what your passion was and what your interests were as a result of doing different things. Um, which I want, which I was hoping you might be to kind of expand a little bit on. Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, which I think is just so powerful, is voicing your goals, right? Because I think I think a lot of people are scared to tell people what their goals are, either because they think that they sound stupid, or because they're scared about them, you know, um, not achieving those goals. But what you just said was you actually voiced your goals, right? Tell us a little bit about, about, about those two things. Just repeat the first question for you, Mohammed, again, which is the first one you wanted me to ask you about. Sorry, yeah. Um, the, yeah, yeah. The, the idea that um, for you, it sounded like you found your interests and your passions okay. as a result of actually trying things rather than having a predetermined, predefined idea as to what, yeah, as su- to what you wanted to do with your life, right? I suppose... Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in my life when I left school because I didn't leave school. I left. I got my O levels, and 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 uh, 
But then I went to go I went to college, um, and uh, in South Africa you had to learn Afrikaans. If you failed Afrikaans as a subject, you failed the whole year. So I had to go to college to 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 pass Afrikaans because living in Zimbabwe we didn't learn Afrikaans as kids. So we I only had to pick up this language um, much later on in life. So it was very difficult to actually pick up that language. So I had to go to college to help with sort of uh, extra lessons, etc., to try and get to get through that. Um, but when when I was I was never a great um, I was a very independent child, and I was probably never a great um, listener. I didn't like authority, um, so there were some real things that drove me there. Where I had two options really: I needed either my own business. Or I needed to have a, have a job that was I was the boss, really, because um, listening to somebody else wasn't a great motivator for me. So um, when I got into the retail and became a store manager, I felt I quite fitted quite well with me that because although I had area managers, they sort of visited maybe once, two, three times a month, if sometimes once a month. So really, I was my own boss. Um, and and I found that fitted really well with what motivated me. Um, uh, I, I enjoyed working with people. I enjoyed, um, I suppose, being part of a team. Really, was was probably what it was. And and retail just fitted all the all all the all the all the all, at that time fitted all the sort of boxes. And I never ever woke up thinking, oh, I've got to go to work today. It was just straightforward. Yeah, I'm on, I'm, I'm on the case. You know what I mean? And it was just like my motivation was just so high that I was just on it all the time. Um, so, so uh, retail was, was was ideal for me because I, I thoroughly it was like it was it's quite an addiction, really. I suppose. And once you get into retail, it's in your blood, and you just love it. Very fast paced, long hours, um, uh, very similar to hospitality, I suppose. But but you, when you're doing it, you don't even think about the time. You never look at your your watch and go, "Oh, what time is it? Oh, it's time to go home." You never do that. Your time goes home is when you finished your job, um, and and I didn't mind that, you know, mm-hmm. to be fair. So so the, the the key drivers, I suppose, for me were I wanted to be my own boss. Um, I wanted to earn decent money because I never wanted to be uh, uh, not be able to afford a beer, um, and, and I suppose those were sort of two major drivers for me there in my in my life really. Um, does that answer? Question one. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Because I think I think a lot of a lot of young people often say, at least to me or from from what I've heard, is, well, I don't know what I want to do, right? Like, you know, I hear you that you sh- I should be doing what I want to do, what I want to do with my life. You know, I I would love to, you know, build a career around, around what I love doing, but how on earth do I know what to do? And I think one of the biggest takeaways from what I think you said was, well. You know, it's it's hard to know what you want to do without actually trying things or without actually just giving giving things a shot. And from that, you then build an awareness as to what what drives you. Right. The other thing for me was I I thrive on change. So so I get I get restless and bored easily. So having a career, one having a career was the key thing for me because. The career was I knew that the job would be changing consistently. 
what I was doing. So that was very motivational mm. for me. Um, two, by voicing my um, career uh, goals, people helped you on the way because they would send you on management courses. They would send you on training and development. Um, they would give you opportunities to, to, to probably um, uh, challenge you um, in areas that maybe you didn't feel that comfortable in. And through those challenges, you grow. And um, by voicing your, 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 your ultimate goals to your, um, the people around you, they can see that you want more. And so therefore, if they know you want more, they will give you more. If they believe that you are someone who's got the drive, and um, dedication to, to, to do the job, no matter what you do. And the other thing is, and I, and I, and I, and I, the other thing in my life was, you know, whatever job you are given, make sure that the job you do is to the best of your ability. Because if you do a job, even that you may not appreciate or may not like, but you do it to the best of your ability, you'll be given a better job. If you do a job you're not enjoying badly, You'd be either left doing the same job or you would have been told to leave. So, so you know, it is a real uh, key thing that, you know, in life, do, do the best you can. Don't ever, ever settle for second best. It is not, it is really important. Though. And people recognize you for that. They recognize you through, for the, the dedication and your commitment and the fact they know whatever you do, you're going to do to the best of your ability. How, um, Colin, how, how self-aware were you in those days when, um, you know, you're working in retail, um, how, how aware were you of what was, what was driving you, what your interests were? Did you kind of have that kind of awareness or was it just kind of the result of, like, as you, as you look back now? So no, I, I said I had the one year, three year, and a five year plan. So you know, all through my life, I wanted to be so. So so let's say starting at, I wanted to be a store manager. So I gave myself some time scales. When when I became a store manager, I wanted to be uh, in a bigger shop. So so say a shop taking hundred thousand um, a, a week was like okay, that's that's the starting point. So I wanted another shop taking you know maybe three hundred thousand pound a week. And then I wanted a shop taking, you know, £500,000 a week because the more the shop was taking, the more benefits I got. So there was like some hidden agenda there, really, I suppose, that I actually was also, I wasn't doing it for nothing. I was doing it because I was on a mission to, to get an income where I could afford to educate my family. And I had a long-term goal of retiring at 55 as well. So... I needed to earn money to put away for a pension. And uh, so, so the bigger the shop, the more money I earned. So, so there, was a, there, was a, there was an agenda there that actually um, uh, I was driven by money, but, but, but that was uh, more a case of needs must than, than an obsession with money. But it was, it was just the fact that the bigger shops you were in, and, but also more challenging because after you get familiar with a certain level, you then get a little bit bored so that whole change thing came into being so that's why eventually I was running stores taking you know 1.5 million a week um, and then you, you go with wow. the benefits that go with that wow. 
Yeah. I mean, um, one of the things that is really amazing is, like you just said, it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't just about the money. It was also the fact that you were trying to do it so you could obviously give your family the um the 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 way of living and the life that you were able to have when you were growing up or <clears throat> when you arrived in the UK but also the desire to want to retire early as well and i think one of the things that people often forget is is that money wasn't money isn't always the main driving factor is it it's it, it's what the money enables you to do that's what drives you is that right yeah so you know not everyone Money is not important to everyone, um, and, and I absolutely get that. Um, but for me, um, because of the hardships I had, I knew what it was like to have no money and how hard it is um, not to be able to afford, you know, food in the plate or, 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 or to do anything. Um, and I can remember being married and having children and, and, and going to the supermarket and. Um, any luxury goods that were on the end of the in the trolley, we'd subtotal. And if we couldn't afford the food that week, we would we would lose the biscuits or whatever little luxury there was in there would be removed off the off the conveyor belt. Wow. So the, 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 you know wow. that was a, a, a the driver there is is um, to survive is I suppose the key driver there is survival. And, and you want to get yourself to a point where you're not in survival. You want to be in a place where um, you're comfortable and actually having a quality of life rather than just living from month to month. Hmm. Mm. Um, Colin, I want to I want to get your thoughts. It's, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a sidetrack, but I want to go there if it's okay. And that's academia, right? There is a um, there is an ongoing debate right now um, in various circles about the role of academia in today's modern society, and to what degree should we be pushing young people into university or higher education um, as opposed to <clears throat> you know um, trying to push them towards apprenticeships or whatever else? What's your What's your take on it based on your experience, based on, you know, um, the kind of journey you've been on? Okay, so what, what I would say to you, what I'd say to you is that um, I think education in today's world is really important. Um, I think it opens a lot of doors for you. It builds self-confidence and it builds um, uh, your ability to communicate with others more effectively and and um, so from that point of view I think today's young young people need to get as, as high a qualification as they can um, it helps them in lots of walks of life and I think in your career where I maybe was very successful under the hard work ethic type approach I'm not sure that you would be as successful in today's world because you have so many people with university degrees coming into a job um, who are very articulate, are very well spoken, they can communicate well, um, and I think you could be left a little bit behind in today's world. On the other hand, if you're not academic, um, that's not a problem. That is absolutely not a problem because I believe that there's apprenticeships out there which are 
um, absolutely key. You know, one of the jobs I did in South Africa before I went into retail, I was a trainee, uh, I, was a, I was an apprentice mechanic. Um, it wasn't for me. I didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't like the greasy hands and all the rest of it. didn't do it for me. So I went, no, that, that doesn't fit with me, right? Um, but if I was to go back into, um, I would do be an electrician, absolutely no problem, right? So, so, so I would just choose a trade, but a different one. It was just that a mechanic wasn't for me. But electrician, I would have been more than happy to do that. So if you, if you want to serve an apprenticeship, just find the market you want to go into and, and, then, and then do that apprenticeship. The, the, I think for children today and for parents really, it is to expose their children to as many things as they can to get an idea of what they will like. So whether they play an instrument, whether they play a sport or multiple sports, or they get into computers, or or into um, uh, an apprenticeship, or the profession of you know doctors, dentists, etc. Um, because I think people have this illusion that well, I want to earn money, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a dentist, I want to be um, into uh, an accountant, or or, or 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 in that sort of professional field. I I'm not a believer of that at all. Um, you know, I have friends in the building trade. I have friends in. In, who, who have served an apprenticeship or they've served just time doing a job, they may be plumbers, whatever. But these guys are earning serious money and 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 uh, they can build a career for themselves, not only by serving that trade, is once they get the qualification, they can build on it, they can open up, um, they can have people working for them, they can have their own businesses. So um, to, to, to say that all everyone needs to go to university is probably, in my opinion, very wrong. Because I think that um, uh, there's other avenues that you can take. You know, one one doesn't fit fit all. And I certainly wasn't academic, to be honest with you. So, so for me, um, I quite like working with my hands and things like that. So, so it's not a problem at all. I, I'm a real firm believer. It's an illusion that you have to go to university. I think there's so many other fields you can go into. Um, the only time you have to go to university is if you've got a specific profession that you want to qualify in. There's too many kids going to university today, coming out of university, going, I still don't know what to do. So they've studied, they've spent a lot of money, and then I still don't know what to do. And I think to myself, if you're going to go to university, know exactly what your chosen subject is and that you're going to practice that when you come out. My daughter uh, is a solicitor. Yeah. And she studied law. She knew that's what she wanted to do, and she's now already a, a, a partner in a practice. Um, and you know, I can only say, you know, fantastic for her. You know, because she she studied, she chose a subject, and she did it. My, my other daughter, one of my other daughters, is, is a sister at the Leicester Royal Infirmary, and she um, did a nursing um, a, a, a nursing college. She then was a nurse, and she built her way up. Uh, to sister, where she's now, and she's still doing some studying to further her career in that aspect. So it just gives you an example where, you know, so one's a nurse, one's a, one's a solicitor, and one is a manager of a phone shop, you know. But she's also been to university, but she came out not knowing what she wanted to do because she um, initially went and did um, physiotherapy and then said, no, she likes the management side of it rather than the physiotherapy side. And uh, so she went to the management side. 
So you know, every every child is different. You know, every child is is, is very different. Um, so I think no child should be forced into thinking that it's all about education. There's so many different aspects of life that you can choose the path to choose that will give you um, a, a decent standard of living, etc. But the other thing is, not everyone wants a career. Not everyone wants all that. Some people are just happy to go through life. And that's their choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is, it's such a refreshing perspective, Colin. And, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that front. Most, most com- completely agree with you on that one. Um, I, I'm conscious of time and we haven't even spoken about cars, Colin. This is, this is, this, this is unreal. Um, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the, the, the car club, how it all started and, um, I guess where your, where your own love for cars comes from. Um, okay. So I suppose, um, my love for cars, uh, I've always, I think my dad was a car fanatic really, I suppose that's where it started. And, and, and then I, I, um, I think I bought my first car, my first brand new car. My first car was a, a, a Datsun, a Datsun Pulsar. Um, and I can remember um, forever over everything because um, it had no guts. And uh, and uh, it was an old fashioned, you know, where the old carburetor and everything and I had to keep adjusting the points because I had to miss the points up every time I, I revved the thing. And um, and so my, so my first new car I bought was a, was a, um, uh, it was an Opel Ascona in South Africa, but a Vauxhall Cavalier uh, SRI would be the version in this country. And uh, I actually oh, wow, okay. I actually imported that to the UK. So um, it's part of my little journey oh. while I was in the, in the UK. I went to the bank and I asked for a £3,000 loan. And they said to me, no, we can't give you a loan um, because you've not been in the UK long enough and, and we've got no record of your income. So... Um, I went, right, okay. So then I knocked on the bank manager's door and I went, you know, look, I really have a problem here. I said, I need to get this car from South Africa here. It's £3,000. I said, the car's worth probably 9000 in the UK because um, the exchange rate was so good. And uh, the bank manager looked at me and he, and he, and he said, uh, you know what, I'm going to give you the loan. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what made him believe in me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave me the loan, uh, and I brought my car from uh, from South Africa to the UK. Um, and um, I then I then uh, uh, drove that for three years, and then sold it and, and, and bought something else. Um, but at that point, you know, I had a, um, I think I, I bought a, a Toyota Corolla, um, little two door coupe, and uh, and. Um, that was my first like, little, little sports car, but then I had children and I had to get rid of that because the two doors are no good. And I, and I went into Alpha um, yeah. 75s, if you remember the Alpha 75, three litre, um, oh. V6s. And they were okay. family cars. And, and uh, yeah. I always bought them second hand and run them for about 50,000 miles and then sold them and bought another one because they used to rot and, uh, and they were no good. So, um, so I ended up with three of those uh, as I went through because they were knew they were expensive and second hand they were dead cheap because no one wanted them um, but I loved the engines and the sound of the engines and everything else um, and I was massive into motorbikes as well so so um, I actually got my motorbike license before I ever got my car license 
in South Africa, and um, and uh, oh uh, right, okay, yeah. Wow. So I used to ride motorbikes since the age of sixteen, and and, and then I, I got my car license. I think at eighteen. Then when I come to the UK, I had to do my car license again because at that point, what they used to be valid in, in England. So I did that, and then a few years later, I had to go for my bike license again. In, in, so I got that again. So I, I bought a motorbike in this country as well. So I had a massive passion for motorbikes, and, and uh, um, I used to tour uh, Europe on my motorbike all the time. So every opportunity I got, I used to shoot across to Europe and tour somewhere. Um, and, and my wife, the first time she ever got in the back of the bike was for, for me to uh, clean the front wheel. And uh, the second time she got in, I just took her about 15 miles to our local, one of our local pubs. And the third time she got in, I took her down the whole of the Pyrenees um, on the Spanish side and the French side. We did 3,000 miles and she was like, oh, dearie me. <laughs> and, uh, but she was good as gold. She came everywhere, no matter what, which was great. And... Um, and I suppose um, I always had a passion for the cars, but the bikes were cheaper. So um, as and when um, money became a bit uh, uh, easier, um, uh, I, I'd, I'd taken my bike across to France, and it was just one of those 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 years where it rained all the way through France. Um, I started suffering with hay fever. And I came home and my wife said, uh, you haven't enjoyed this holiday, have you? And I said, not really. No, it's been miserable. I've, my eyes have been stinging. You know, it's been running. And I said, and it's rained. I said, how can I have enjoyed <laughs> So anyway, and it just happened to be that, that um, Nissan sent me a 72-hour um, test drive uh, for a 350Z. So I thought, oh, this is quite nice. Oh, that, so, was a, that was a good car. So I, I, my Nissan um, 350Z, I went to set up like the test drive for 72 hours and um, I took it to the Lake District <laughs> um, and uh, we were going through the Yorkshire, oh. <laughs> the Yorkshire Dales and she said, you like this, don't you? I said, it's lovely, isn't it? It's, it's really nice. She said, um, well, you promised if you bought a sports car, you'd sell the bike. And I went, Yeah. Okay, I'll sell the bike. She said, "Okay, you can have the car." So I went. Oh wow! So oh my god! So I bought uh, I bought my first sports car. Really, it's the little three fifty Z. Um, and and that really is. Oh I my god! The, the passion was built from there because from there, um, I, my wife. If you ever meet my wife, she'll tell you some stories. But but that's another story. But I went to have. Um, um, oh, the radio fixed on the on the 350Z, um, and I happened to just pop into BMW at the time, and uh, and then I came home with a, um, a, a, a Z4M, uh, the little sports car. <laughs> the, the, the Z4M, and my wife said, "I thought you were going to fix the the radio." I said, uh, "Yeah, I did. I just come home with a BMW." She says, "Oh right, okay," and uh, so. Um, so uh, she had to, or she used to also ride the, the, the 350Z was her daily, to be honest with you. I had to give that as her daily because at that point I had a company car. And then, um, then so the, 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 the BMW Z4M, uh, she had to also ride that. So she was like, okay. Um, and then uh, as a business, the, the, 
company car tax was just so horrendous that um, we opted out for the of, of company cars. And when I realized how much my BMW was costing me, I had a, um, a 335i as a company car. And, uh, and I realized how much tax I was paying on this thing that I thought, actually, I could get myself into something, something nicer. So I went out and I bought myself uh, an XKR, um, which was one of the cars that I had a real passion for because it was the V8 um, supercharged um, car mm-hmm. and it just sounded awesome. It was just, it had that whole prestige and I just loved the, the you know, it was for me at that point in time was, it was, was a measure of my success that I could actually afford a decent mm-hmm. car. Um, and I bought the XKR. To be honest with you, I ended up having three of them over a period of time, from an XKR to an XKRS and to a Diamond car, which all great cars, loved them. And uh, and then that sort of then gave you a taste of more. The problem is with, with cars is that you just want the next one, don't you? And um, so the XKRs were yeah. like fantastic, yeah. but I found them a bit big. They were a bit heavy to play with, you know? Um, and I then um, bought an Audi R8, and uh, that was like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is You had an R8? So I had an R8 V10 uh, in gen- Generation 1, and it was nice black, uh, uh, and it, it was red inside. It was beautiful. Beautiful engine, sounded great, loved it. Oh when, so instead of touring Europe with the, with, with, with the bikes, and now I was touring Europe with the cars. And uh, absolutely loved it. Was that the V8, the Audi R8? The Audi was a V10. It's a V10 with the engine at the back. Yeah, so the engine sounded amazing. Um, And then, um, I don't know, my wife and I were talking, and she said to me, my childhood dream was to to buy a Porsche um, Carrera 4S. And... um, my wife said to me, she said, look, just go and buy one and get out of your system. And I was like, yes. That's what you are. <laughs> when someone says to you, yes, go and buy and get out of your system, that was like my first time my wife's ever told me that I can actually have permission to buy a car. So, um, so uh, uh, I went out and I took a test drive in a, in a, in a, in a Porsche Carrera 4S and I was like, oh, this is a bit slow, isn't it? This is not what I thought it was made up to be. I was quite disappointed. So, um, the sales says, well, do you want to take out this turbo, uh, 911 turbo for a spin? I mean, yeah, come on, let's take that one out for a spin, see if it's any better than this one. It's a bit slow. Anyway, so I took a turbo out, and I went, oh, yes, this is the baby. So I bought it, <laughs> and um, loved it, absolutely loved it. Uh, 2000, uh, 2010 it was, uh, so I bought uh, my, my, my Porsche uh, 911, so that was the, my, my, my childhood dream side, so I ticked that box, um, I nailed that. And um, I used to lease my cars because I was working all the time and I only had time really in the summer to use them. I used to sort of buy them in the, in the, in the March and sell them in the September, really. So I wasn't having a car sitting in the garage uh, uh, wasting money, really. So I used to lose it and then, and then buy something else the next mm. year. So I went through a few cars, as you can imagine. Um, my wife says that I would have probably been, you know, a, a little bit wealthier if I'd have uh, just not bought all the cars. But I said, but then again, I wouldn't have memories. I wouldn't have. Uh, I wouldn't have had the fun that I've had because some people are into football and massively into sport. You know, I'm a rugby fan, and, and I love my cars and my motorbikes. So those are the. And I love travelling. 
So those are my passions. Um, and uh, so after the turbo, um, oh, I've had a Nissan GTR as well, but I didn't get on with that one. That's that one. It lasted three. Oh my years. god! I was. No, I didn't. That's a great car. Um, phenomenal cars for the track, but for the for the road, not great cars. Um, so I ended up. Um, I bought. I ended up back in another R8 into a, 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 an R8 Gen Two, but the V10 Plus this time. Um, completely loved that, mm. and then uh, I just um, came across this Aston Martin, which uh, DB11, and I, and I went, "Oh, that is sexy. That is that is some look nice looking motor." So I bought that instead. So I swapped that. Got into an, an Aston Martin, first Aston Martin I've ever owned because I'd been in, I'd test driven a few Astons over the years, but every time I drove them, they were either too slow, the gearbox was too slow, or the clutch was too hard, and it just didn't look great. But I'm a driver, I want a driver's car, so it wasn't really a driver's car, it was more, if you're into status, that was the Aston Martin for me. Um, but then I took the, the DB11 out, so DB11 AMR V12. Um, and uh, sound was great, gearbox was great, and great car, to be honest with you. Um, but again, after two years of owning it, I found it's still a bit too big for me. It was more of a GT car, and I wanted something a bit more sporty. And uh, so now I bought a, a, a 911 Turbo uh, a Turbo S this time, um, and, uh, and uh, more than happy with it. It's a, a, a dynamite little car. It's just... Uh, it's just um, you know, everything ticks all the boxes. You can drive it nice and stately. If you want to have a bit of fun, it, it'll do it for you. Not too big. Um, so very manoeuvrable. Um, so very happy. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's me. So I've always had a passion for cars, and it just got worse, really. Um, but I have a confession. I also bought a, a, a <laughs> Triumph Rocket Three as well. Um, and uh, that was last year. And when I told you about another motorbike, she was like, you haven't bought another motorbike. And I went, well, yeah. And it was my friend's fault because he was <laughs> in the back of his. And, 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 and I just went, oh, yeah, I like that. I like it. And I, I didn't think I'd get back into bikes, but this particular bike was just something special. And I wanted more of a cruiser-type bike. Um, so I ended up with this uh, Triumph Rocket 3, which is uh, also awesome bit of kit. Um, so, yeah, but... That was that was sort of probably the driving force of all my my car. I still like all sorts of cars. Um, in terms of you know dream cars, I think maybe a McLaren seven six five LT would be would be on the list uh, at some point maybe, um, or a Ferrari F eight, uh, and then the, the latest Aston Martin Valhalla looks like a, a nice bit of kit um, to have some fun in. That's a crazy car. Oh, yeah. That that is. The, I mean, I've seen it. It's just unreal. I mean, what a what a crazy, crazy looking car as the mine. Um, but yeah, so it's it's all it's all um, everything's relative. But I I do I do like um, drivers' cars. I think that's the key thing for me. Um, cars that you can you can use. Uh, I'm, I'm not someone who just always leaves it in the garage. It's got to be it's got to be there to be used. So, um, so uh, that then that then moved me on to when I retired. I, I managed to retire at fifty three, um, and uh, it was two years early to my target. Two years early. Two years early to my target, and I thought, right. So I had two years off that I was travelling, and uh, sort of 
I thought, is this it? There's, there's a huge difference. You know, when you, you're looking after, you know, maybe 500 people, maybe 23 direct reports, and you suddenly go to zero, it is quite a rude awakening, to be honest with you, because you suddenly go, what, is this my life? I've just gone from uh, from being this busy, crazy, busy guy uh, to, to zero. Um, and if you want to take up golf and stuff like that, that's fair enough. But it wasn't enough for me. So I thought, right, okay, I'll join a car club. So I joined the car club, and um, um, it just, the club is fantastic. I don't want to mention names, but the club's a fantastic club, right? But the problem was everyone were driving around like um, their cars were stolen. And I, I took my wife once, and she said, if you're going to drive like this, she says, I'm not coming again. And the whole point of... Um, Retiring was to spend more time with family because I'd worked all my life, long hours, never been home, and it was time to spend with the family. So to then go out on a, on a boys' day out on a Sunday or a Saturday with your car, I probably thought wasn't actually the solution or, or, or probably the ideal sort of the thing, the point of retiring, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, I looked at the market and I thought, actually, there's an opportunity here in the market that... that um, you could set up a car club that involved couples who want to go on driving tours, driving days out in a safe, controlled fashion rather than racing around. Just because you've got a car that can do 200 mile an hour doesn't mean you're going to go on the roads and drive at 200 mile an hour. If you want to do that, let's hit the track. Let's have some fun, yeah? If you're going to go on the road, let's be reasonable, you know, you know, go through the villages at the speed limit. Be careful, but don't be silly about what you're trying to achieve, yeah? Um, and enjoy your cars and have a purpose to drive them. So I looked at that and I thought, right, well, let's just try it. So I started with six up members um, and was it was called R8 Breakfast Club. Um, and then as the members started changing their cars, they said to me, well, what do we do now? Because... I've no longer got an Audi, so so what what am I still welcome in the club? And I said, well, once a member of the club, you're always a member of the club, so you're always welcome, no matter what car you drove. So I had to think about how do I incorporate the changes and everything. So I thought, in actual fact, if I just stick to one car, one marquee, I'm actually limiting the amount of people I can have and the people mm-hmm. with who would want to do some of the stuff mm-hmm. I want to do. So then um, it became R8 Breakfast, Audi and Aston Martin Breakfast Club. And I thought, oh, no. and then it became Audi, Aston Martin and Sports Car Breakfast Club. And I went, oh, this is all too long, really. Let's, let's get this. So we synchronized and went, right. <laughs> and then you can, you, you know, you may not necessarily have got a supercar, but you've got a decent sports car and you want to enjoy it. The key thing for the club, really, for us is one, you, you like adventure. Um, you like uh, going places, um, staying in nice hotels, doing like you know great drives, touring Europe, and and all these type of places. And and so um, we started with six. We currently got sixteen hundred, nearly seventeen hundred members. Um, and then as it grew, wow, um, you know, it, 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 it was it wasn't long that I actually realised. Look, this isn't sustainable. I have to, I will have to make it into a business. It was just a hobby club. Um, so I then launched my website last year, 
um, registers a business, and uh, and that's where we are today, really. And 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 uh, this year we've got a number of trips planned. We've got um, Ireland planned for in May. We're going to we're doing the whole um, uh, Atlantic um, uh, Wild West, I think Atlantic Wild West of, of Ireland um, in in May. Then in um, June we're doing the North Coast 500, which is including the Isle of Skye. Um, July we're going to the Alps and the south of France for four. Uh, you can either join us for seven or eight days, and then or fifteen days. Um, then we've got. Uh, a city tour in October, which is going to be um, Budapest, not Budapest, Prague, Vienna, Budapest. Um, then we go into Croatia, um, Zagreb, and then across to uh, Venice and back up. We may even slip uh, Berlin wow. into that in, in the mix. So that'll be a city tour. Then on top of that, we've got weekends away to North Wales, South Wales, to the Derbyshire Dales. We've got day trips out to drive around the Rutland and Scotswells and, and uh, the Peak District and all these sort of places. We've also got static events where you can go to car events where you can just walk around and Google at all the cars that they have. Um, and there's new, 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 new um, things coming on every single week to, 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 to help people um, uh, uh, explore and enjoy um, the world of cars, really. Um, but yeah, it's designed more. Our, our club is designed for couples who want to enjoy their enjoy their trips. Singles are welcome, but yeah. but what I'm trying to and do then, is that we ride around and yeah. just speeds and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, just just reflecting on going from six to sixteen hundred, Colin. Right? What would you attribute that? that growth too from your perspective <laughs> um, I suppose <laughs> back to that ambition really I suppose really because I was creating a club that was actually designed uh, or aimed at people that were um, slightly more affluent uh, than, than, than in that supercar bracket I suppose so if you choose, look at the car first, you, you sort of have to say, right, okay, if you're spending that type of money on a car, you're going to want to have a nice hotel, you're going to have a nice drive, you're going to, you know, you want events that are going to be appealing, like track dates and things like that. So, um, and also, I had to sort of see how I was going to try and market that. So, you know, I, I, I probably... I found ways of connecting with people and then inviting them to join the club. And, 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 and we seemed to get a huge amount of recommendations. So every day we, we were sort of five people joining, six people joining. And it wasn't, it was a lot of it was through recommendations. They'd been out in the drive with us at a great time. The club's not a very um, mm. snooty club either, so we are down to earth, you know. So even though you may have members who have got, you know, a half a million pound or a million pound car, um, we we are, uh, you know, we are a down to earth bunch of people, because for me that's quite key, really, because I'm not interested in in just the elite. It's got to be um, you out there for your passion. It's not about. Um, Elitism, yeah, something yeah. I'm interested in. 
Yeah. And I, I suppose to, to what degree, Colin, has it been a challenge to maintain the culture and ethos and vision of the car club as you've got bigger and bigger? Because I guess I guess to a certain degree, it's it's quite easy to kind of keep that culture when you're quite small. But I guess as you get bigger and bigger... Does it get hard to kind of, to kind of kind of keep that spirit going? Yeah, when you're small, you get all people see you as almost being their friend. Whereas now you are a figurehead, and it is harder to to keep that. But some of the key things is that um, we take only six cars on a tour, so. We're not aimed at taking 20 cars on a tour where if you did that, it would be impossible to maintain that culture because some guys want to go fast, some guys want to go slow, some, and they all would break into their little groups. Well, when you have six cars and you offer uh, being the lead car, they invariably will drive with you and stop with you and have lunch and dinners and all that together. So you create um, a nice family environment. Um, on the bigger runs, like say we do it to drive and we take 10 cars, we break two, uh, 20 cars, we take those 20 cars, we break them into probably either two sets of 10 or sometimes uh, uh, maybe three sevens or something like that, um, uh, or two sevens and a six, depends. So we have the smaller numbers, but then we'll meet at the pub and then we'll go and have a meal where we break the tables into sixes. So we do try and um, help keep that as best we can. Whether it will be able to maintain throughout is probably going to be one of our biggest challenges to, to, to keep that ethos as you grow. Um, I think people who come, they soon decide whether the club's for them or it's not for them. So some of the people who want a different type of experience will maybe not come again. We're at it, but, but what we find is that a lot of people... Um, we get a lot of repeat people coming um, time and time again, and then they do become. Because in terms of the operation, there's myself, my wife, uh, a chap called Alex, who is also um, a lead driver looking after the website and, um, and and the accounts, and I have a lady looking after my um, uh, my accounts as well. So there's really just the four of us. So it makes it probably, again, quite small, and I'm the key player within that. Where I will, where I go to most venues wherever possible. Alex is running static events. If I'm away on a tour now, so we've got two things happening at once. Now it may grow bigger than that um, and become more challenging, but as, as we are, you know, in the current uh, position, we we, we 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 are still trying to keep it like really a family business rather than than, than something that's going to get out of control. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Because, wow. because the other thing it is, it sounds so exciting. Well, you know, like because when I go to an event, I will try and say hello to as many people who at that event because because I think it's important to make them feel welcome. Because I've been to car clubs where I've been to mm. a venue and I didn't know who the who the who the owner of the club was, who was a member of the club, who wasn't, and you left thinking, well, I've been to this meet, but who's who's anyone? Um, and that's not very personal, where I, my whole approach is that personal approach that I want it to be personal. I don't want it to be um, you just a number. Um, 
because if I'm honest with you, the club's not about the money. The club's actually about, um, I don't have sponsorship uh, in the I have one sponsor in, in the club. Um, and um, yes, I will be looking for further sponsorship, but that's to grow the business, not to, that's not for my benefit. That's actually grow the business and enable us to mm. have more venues mm. and more special venues that we can get for our members to enjoy. Um, the club's never been about the money for me. The club's more of a hobby. So, so the key thing for me is, is I want people to enjoy it. Yeah. And, and uh, final question on that, on that front, Colin. Um, to what degree do you think that the success that you've seen with the club is also the is also the result of not chasing the money, but actually chasing the um, the 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 experience and the desire to serve people. Um, is that would would you say that's also kind of you know one of the reasons why the growth has been so great is because people obviously love love what you do and and and, and love to be a part of it. Yeah, I do believe that that um, uh, people are to enjoy their cars and enjoy the experience. And, and, and I think I said earlier that setting the club is to actually give people a purpose to drive their cars, and um, by making them feel welcome and um, giving them that uh, warm welcome wherever possible, um, and people take to you. And they go, actually, you know, Colin's quite a good guy. He's quite a nice guy. We enjoyed this. We did that. We did that. There's no um, um, hierarchy within the, the ranks. It's all quite relaxed. It's all quite... I think that's the key thing why people enjoy it, you know. And, and, and like I said, it's, it's always been a passion and a hobby rather than um, a business. Although it is a business, it's not being designed to... Uh, make loads and loads of money. Whatever mm. money is made, it goes back in the business um, to, 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 for the, for the, for the, for the members. Um, and that this year, I'll have to start working hard to try and get sponsorship because that is, that is what we need to actually start growing the business um, for the members and giving them some of the shows they would really like to see and some of the venues they'd like to go to. Yeah. So that's just so beautiful, and I guess you know um, what what better way of knowing that you're doing great work than when your growth is fueled by recommendations and referrals. I mean, that's just that's just absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, Colin, I wanna I wanna end things by asking this one question I ask all my guests at some point in the interview, and you were touching on it earlier, and this will be the final question. Um, Colin, what does what does your dream five car garage look like? Well, I think I, I already said to you, my, my first dream car was my XKR, um, which 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 I had. Yeah. Um, then uh, my second was was really the the, the my Porsche a nine eleven, which which uh, again ticked the box. Um, um, if there was if there was um, Another three I'd add to my list is probably that McLaren 765LT. I think it's a phenomenal car. Um, and and if, if I could have a stable of cars, that would certainly be in it. Um, the the F8, Ferrari F8 is another car which, which um, 
is also phenomenal. So, so that would also be in the be in the in, in the stable. Um, I certainly like a Lamborghini uh, Urus as my as my um, wannabe cars for the stable. Um, really? Okay. It's, it's uh, the Lamborghini Urus is it's completely over the top for an SUV, but come on, it is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, been out for a test driving one and I was absolutely blown away. I was like, yeah, that's just so cool. Um, so yeah, if I was, if it was, if 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 it was, if it was a five car garage, uh, I think the Euros would be definitely in there. Um, uh, in terms of in terms of um, a sports car, with the McLaren, probably the F8 and the Aston Martin Valella would be my my choice. Um, uh, the top end, you know, like the Queen and Six and all that sort of thing, it's not in my league to be honest with you. Um, and they're more of an investment car than, than the yeah. driver's car. Uh, so it's a different question. If, you, if you're looking with five investment cars, it's a different ball game. But five driver's cars, yeah, 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 yeah. Those would be probably be, be in my category. You know, that's amazing, Colin. Honestly, um, thank you so much for your incredibly, incredibly. Uh, valuable time on this uh, Saturday morning, your experience, your life, what you've learned, but also your kind of unique perspective on things, especially for young people today. Um, I think it's going to be really useful for those that are going to be listening into this. So thank you. And uh, we look forward to uh, look forward to um, having you on at some point in the future again. No, you're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity to, to, to join you, to be honest with you. Um, and, and I think uh, another party note, people just need to believe in themselves. That is the, the, the key core that they need to do. Believe in yourself and, uh, and, 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 and show people you believe in yourself and uh, be humble about what you're trying to achieve.